0: My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site for fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Over the years, I've regularly used fishing guides at sea, on fresh water and when fly fishing, but in every case, only ever while fishing abroad. The reason why I've used guides is that with limited fishing time and the possibility of not fishing that particular menu ever again, plus the cost involved in both getting to and staying at somewhere very special, I felt the need to give myself the very best chance possible of coming away with the right result, which in terms of explaining the true value of having a guide, actually says it all. But like a great many people, other than when fishing as a member of a party on a charter boat out at sea, I have never employed, nor even thought about employing a personal professional guide for fishing here in the UK. Why? I don't know because all the same criteria of improving your knowledge, your practical skills, and of course your chances of success, still apply. To get some sort of handle on why perhaps more of us should be looking towards guides and instructors for angling tuition, and for help in both finding and catching more fish, I'm joined today by one of the few professional fly fishing instruction and river guides in the county of Lancashire, Mike Roden, who operates across the whole spectrum of game fishing, as well as course and even beach fishing when called upon to do so, and in particular flow tubing on still waters which is something we plan to cover specifically at some stage in the future using the video equipment. Buying in the services of a professional guide for fishing in UK waters for most of us is probably not something which would ever cross our minds. Why then do you think that is and equally why do you think those people who don't use guides may have got it wrong? Well
1: there's two kind of things to that if you are an experienced fly fisher then you are looking for maybe a new venue to, to go and fish. So let's say you're looking for a new stretch of river. You can spend an awful lot of time during that day, when time is precious, finding out the river, looking where the boundaries are, working out where you're going to park your car, how you're going to get to the river, what the banks are like, where the deep holes are, and it's full of pitfalls. Whereas if you employ a guide, the guide will know that river intimately. They will meet you at a prearranged spot, take you to the river where you're going to start your fishing. Advise you on the method that may be useful in that particular stretch of water. will tell you any pitfalls when it comes to the wading, so you avoid dangerous holes and slippy rocks and all the rest of it and so that you can get the most out of that day and you don't have to think about all the logistics yourself. So it leaves you to just literally enjoy the day and hopefully catch fish without having to worry about all the peripherals. And therefore you're making the most use of your time. So it boils down to really how much time you've got. If you're fishing a place for two or three days then part of the enjoyment might be that area of discovery in which case go and do it. But if the time is at a premium then a guide is certainly one way of making all your time more effective.
0: What then are the services that yourself and similar UK guides have to offer?
1: Well my services really fall into two areas. There is one that is just outlined purely in terms of showing people a water and because of my knowledge of that water explaining to them or highlighting where the fish are likely to be, what tactics to adopt, what flies to use what techniques to use as well as obviously as i've said wading safely but the second part of my job because i'm a qualified fly fishing instructor as not just a guide is that i can help people with their technique so if they come across a little bit of water that is very very difficult because of undergrowth overhanging trees because of the speed and power of the current where it's difficult to present a fly then I should be able to help them with a particular casting technique that will allow them to get that fly where it needs to get to. So they're the two areas really, it's technically helping them with the casting and technique as well as actually showing them the river. And what specifically are the casting techniques that you teach? Well particularly on water the problem that we have is the fact that the water is moving so that as soon as the fly lands on the water the current of the river is getting hold of the fly line and dragging it downstream, which means that it starts to skate the fly across the surface of the water or underneath the surface of the water. And it's what we call drag. And as soon as you start to drag the fly, then you are not going to catch fish. So we need a presentation that allows us as drag free as possible. So there are various techniques that we can adopt where we are introducing slack line into the cast so that we put in if you like in simple simple terms putting more slack line upstream of where the fly is so the current's got to get hold of that slack line take it downstream before it has the effect of dragging that fly and so we're getting extra presentation time wise over where we think the fish are likely to be and there are lots of different what we call presentation casts or, or slack line casts that will enable us to do that dependent upon the state of the river. Unfortunately, rivers aren't uniform. They don't just have fast or medium or slow moving currents. If you look at any pit of river across stream, directly across stream, there could be a fast seam of moving water directly underneath the rod, there could be a fast seam of moving water halfway across the river or at the far end wherever you're wanting to present the fly and therefore you need the ability to put that extra bit of slack line at the main part of the current so you need the ability to move that slack line up and down the cast to suit the water so it is a very very specific technique and it's something that all river fishermen really if they want to maximize their potential should know and
0: should know how to do them now you also cover other aspects of fly fishing including still waters from boats, float tubing, coarse fly fishing and even some salt water stuff, which as a sea angler who's done a bit of that myself I'm particularly interested in. In fact, I still hold the IGFA World £8 tippet record for coal fish from around the salmon cages out in Red Bay off Cushendall in Northern Ireland. And I've also done a couple of videos in the company of Ian Burrett and Alan Hetherington, where a number of different IGFA tippet records for Pollock were beaten and returned unclaimed. So the UK's saltwater potential is most certainly out there. With that, and the freshwater stuff in mind, can you elaborate now a little more on the various fly fishing options you offer?
1: Yeah, sure, yeah. I'm qualified in uh, anything to do with a single-handed rod as well as a double-handed rod. But if we take single-handed fly fishing, single-handed rod, that encompasses lots of different disciplines nowadays. We can fish not only on rivers, but we can fish on still waters or ponds. We can fish on very large reservoirs. And we can fish from the bank. We can fish from a boat. And we can use one of my favourites, float tubes. Each of those really using a different technique but with the same single-handed rod and part of my work is to where I uh, help complete beginners to get involved in the sport in which case I really explain what the tackle is all about so if if we talk about complete beginners I teach an awful lot of complete beginners who want to try fly fishing for the first time then the normal format of that lesson would be that firstly we talk about equipment We talk about how you put it all together, we talk about leader setups, we talk about fly selection. And then we go and move on to the technical aspects of casting, and the two basic casts that we'll uh, introduce into the lesson would be a basic overhead cast and a basic roll cast, because they form the foundation of all fly casting. And then we'll move on to watercraft, so in other words, when they turn up at a fishery, how are they going to go about it? Where are the fish likely to be? How would the fishing be affected by climate, temperature and weather conditions generally? And then we'd actually look at fishing technique itself. So that would be mainly from the bank. With people that are already fly fishing and maybe want to learn a new experience... Then we'll look at doing what's called lock-style fishing from boats, which means that the boat is always in constant movement. You're not just fishing from an anchor point. And we'll look at float tube fishing, which, for those of you who don't know, is basically like a big blow-up armchair that uh, you paddle yourself about on, so you're propelling yourself with uh, uh, divers fins, flippers. And it's a great method of fishing, but the technique is the same once you're on water and so we're looking at all those different styles and then the the last one the the one that's got the biggest growth area really is uh, saltwater fly fishing becoming extremely popular now not just around uh, our coast but uh, in warmer waters out in the Caribbean and Cuba and Bahamas etc around this coast we would be targeting species such as bass, pollock um, mullet so bass, pollock, mullet Um, are the the kind of the main species that we'd fly fish for but we could also go for even things like flatties we could even go for those as well in warmer waters this species would be bonefish tarpon mahi etc and it's absolutely great fun when uh, you get people uh, wading out to the chest and casting for uh, these species
0: it's really really good fun what well, can you tell us about your own personal background, fly fishing qualifications, and perhaps even some of your own successes, both with people and with fish?
1: First them, a qualification. There are different routes to becoming a fly fishing instructor nowadays, a qualified fly fishing instructor. My route was to join an association called GAIA, the Game Angling Instructors Association, of which I am a member. And I took their basic qualification which is Gaia, the Game Angling Instructor's Certificate, and then I went on to take the higher level of instructor, which is AppGAI, Advanced Professional Game Angling Instructor. And also nowadays I'm a national assessor with Gaia, so I examine people who wish to become qualified and train those people who wish to become qualified. And until recently, I was on the uh, National Committee with Gaia, but I've resigned that position now. I've got uh, too busy. So that is the route that I took. Within Gaia, it means that all Gaia instructors, myself included, are qualified sufficiently to teach the techniques that we advertise. It also ensures that uh, we have public liability insurance and that we've been CRB checked and we've done child protection courses so that we're fully qualified to teach people of all ages, all backgrounds, etc. In terms of teaching, I get people from all walks of life, complete beginners, very advanced casting techniques with both single-handed and double-handed rods. I've taught people as young as five, six years old, although I wouldn't absolutely advocate that in all honesty. I would suggest that A child who wants to get involved in fly fishing, because it is technical, needs to be 10, 11, 12 years old, I would suggest. But there's no upper age, and there's certainly no restriction in terms of the sexes. The eldest client that I've had was a 98-year-old lady who came to me for the very first time, two years ago it is now. She'd always wanted to fly fish and never, ever had the opportunity, didn't know how to go about it. And for her 98th birthday, her family clubbed together and bought a lesson with me. And uh, she came with me for a couple of hours at a Stillwater, and actually caught her first fish on the fly. In fact, her first fish full stop. And she was absolutely cock hoops I thought she was going to have a heart attack and uh, excitement. <laughs> so uh, that was probably uh, uh, something that will always stick in my memory. But all the lessons really are, are memorable because... Everybody's different, everybody looks at things differently, everybody goes about learning differently and everybody has a different objective when it comes to fly fishing. Some people want to catch a lot of fish, other people like the peace and solitude and some people like the challenge and fly fishing can offer all of those objectives and there is no restriction on age or sex or ability provided somebody is reasonably able bodied then we can get them fly fishing.
0: What about your earlier angling background prior to becoming an instructor? What's your fly fishing history, or angling history generally?
1: I'd love to say that I've been fishing man and boy for years and years, but it's actually not the truth. I didn't get into fly fishing until fairly late in life. I was late 20s, before I uh, even got hold of a fly rod. Uh, And I got introduced to it by uh, a friend who was a fly fisher. ...who uh, thought that he owed me a favour, as it were... ...and um, took me fly fishing with him one day... ...and I really, really, as the pun in- intended, uh, got hooked on it... ...I really thoroughly enjoyed it... ...I hadn't a clue what I was doing... ...the fly was getting caught up trees and in bushes... ...just like with every other beginner... ...but I did manage to catch a fish, luckily... ...and that excitement really kind of triggered... ...a real interest in the sport... ...and so I went to an instructor myself to learn the basics... And then I really, really started fly fishing with a vengeance. I probably did more fly fishing in the first five years than most people would do in a lifetime. It really did kind of grab hold of me. But then I went away from it and um, kind of started to progress up the career ladder, as you do. And because of time constraints, I only fly fished now and again. But then I got back into it, and I reached a stage where then I was thinking of... um, My own mortality, let's put it that way, being too morbid and thinking there's got to be a lot more to life than just the daily grind. And so I uh, resigned my position with the company I was working for and uh, decided to become a fly fishing instructor with the thought initially that it would just keep me amused for a couple of days a week maybe. I mean, I became a full-time instructor now, this is my ninth year. And I never for one moment thought it would ever become a full-time occupation. But uh, it really has grown and uh, fortunately I'm
0: very busy. When fishing for yourself, what is your personal preference? Still waters or rivers? Oh, my preference is, is river, yeah.
1: I mean, to me, that is why fly fishing was invented, to get out on a river. But I do, you know, two lots of things. I take trips of people uh, out on the river. So I might take... In fact, I've got a trip coming up uh, uh, next Wednesday when I'm taking six people on the River Eden. And we'll have a great time. It'll be a social get-together. We'll have real good fun. Hopefully I'll be able to show them some good fishing and they'll catch fish. But it's that kind of scenario. It doesn't have to be deadly serious. On other occasions, I might want to just take myself off on an isolated bit of river and not see another human being, and just be part of nature, part of the river, and just really lose myself and and forget all about everything for that brief uh, time. So fly fishing can offer you any kind of object if you want. You can go out mob-handed and have real good fun, have a good laugh, or you can have absolute, complete peace and solitude. It
0: depends on what you want to gain from it. Can we now look at some of the stillwater developments which have been, and in some cases still are, either in the controversial category or perhaps less liked either by yourself or fishery managers, starting with the use of sight bobs or indicators, which some purists argue are akin to coarse float fishing?
1: Yeah, if there's one thing that really stirs up debate and the conflict of opinion, then indicators is probably the one my own view is that I don't mind using indicators at all in the slightest I use them for my own personal fishing and I teach people how to use them a lot of people have the complaint well it's just like course fishing well my counter to that is that if you're using a floating line that is a float it just happens to be 90 foot long float but it is a float the fact that you're putting an indicator on the end of it just makes it that little bit more convenient, that little bit easier, and allows you to really control the depth at which you're presenting that fly. So I've no objection at all to using indicators in the slightest. The one thing that maybe kind of is a little bit irksome to me, purely as an instructor and looking through instructor eyes, is that under some circumstances with very commercialised fly fisheries, then nearly everybody is using an indicator because they don't know how else to to fish. And they're catching fish purely using that indicator. If you took that indicator off, then they'd never catch another fish in their life. So that's one thing that I don't like from an instructor point of view. But if you use an indicator correctly, it can be, in some circumstances, the only way you're going to catch fish.
0: Okay, so let's now move a little bit further down in the water column. In fact, a lot further down, right to the bottom. What are your thoughts on boobies?
1: Boobies, again, can kind of stir up a lot of emotion. This is normally with fishery owners, because the way boobies were first invented, as it were, is for use with a fast sinking line, a very short leader, and the booby, So that the line sunk lower than, obviously, the floating booby, but albeit underwater and you normally fit or would have in those days fished them completely static. The problem was caused that the fish couldn't really understand why that fly isn't moving because everything else in the water is moving except the booby and therefore it was a great source of annoyance for them and when they took the fly they really took it with a vengeance and more often than not they end up swallowing that fly very deeply so, it is impossible to effectively catch and release that fish. When you pull it in, you're going to have to kill it. And therefore, a lot of fisheries don't allow you to use them for that very reason. However, things have moved on since the early days of boobies. And now you can use boobies with intermediate lines and sinking lines as part of your three or four fly setup. And it simply allows you to give a different presentation to the other flies. And in that case, the flies are always moving. And therefore, when the fish takes the fly, it takes it just like it would any other fly. It doesn't necessarily really swallow it down deep. So a, modern, a more modern use of the booby, in my opinion, should be allowable. It's only when you fish it absolutely static with a sinking line that it causes the
0: problems that it does. To my knowledge, those are the two main current controversial subjects, but are there any others either about to divide opinion, or as yet, still further down the pipeline, which may at some stage rear their heads?
1: The only thing that's really taken particularly the river fishing by storm over the last few years is the use of what's called duoing or trioing. And that is basically where using a bushy dry fly and suspending a much smaller nymph, for example, underneath that dry fly and the normal way of attaching the nymph to the dry fly is using what we call a kiwi dropper or a New Zealand style dropper where you tie the dropper directly to the bend of the hook of the dry fly Um, so it's called kiwi style or duoing or, or trioing and that has really really taken the river scene by storm and has some applications on still water as well And it's a means of being able to present a dry fly and a nymph and fish them both absolutely effectively. And under normal circumstances on a river, for every ten fish that you catch maybe using that method, maybe three or four would take the dry fly, five or six would take the
0: nymph. So it can be a really effective method. It's funny you should say that, really, because back in the mid-1990s, I started whipping the eyed shank cut from a size 12 hook to the shanks of other hooks used to make suspender buzzers, with the extra eye appearing just above the bend of the hook. I then tied a short mono dropper to it, which was used to position a weighted buzzer further down at a preset depth. It wasn't particularly flexible in terms of depth adjustment, but it worked and subsequently appeared in Stillwater Trout magazine. So site bobs are not perhaps as new a topic as some people might think. Anyway, I'm getting off the subject. So how do you see guiding and tutoring as a potential growth area for the future? Well, again, this really is the, the peculiar nature of the business I'm
1: involved in. People generally, whether it is enforced through redundancies and you know, lack of work around, are acquiring much more leisure time. Sometimes it's not what they want... But they have got more time on the hands. And therefore, um, ironically, when times are quite tough, I can actually be extremely busy. Because people, maybe if they've been made redundant, they've got a little bit of redundancy package. They've got time on the hands. And they can fulfill some ambitions that have been put on the back burner because they've been working so hard previously. So they come to people like me and start something that they've always wanted to do. Other than that, I think fly fishing will never really get back to the numbers that were involved maybe kind of early mid-70s when there was a big massive boom of fly fishing with the opening of larger reservoirs and, and still waters to fly fishing. Massive, massive boom in those days. It's quietened down since then, but I think there is certainly a trend now where couples, for example, are coming to me for lessons so you get husband and wife or partners that both come to me to learn fly fishing it's almost I kind of equate it to fly fishing being almost the new golf people used to think of golf as something that they could both do together enjoy each other's company out on the golf course and do it into their dotage well fly fishing is exactly the same as that there's nothing to stop people doing that into very uh, senior years uh, and there's absolutely nothing to stop partners and husband and wife doing it together. And women particularly like it because there's no creepy crawly maggots and slimy
0: stuff about Looking specifically at the guiding aspect of your work now, do you see it as a cost-effective shortcut to success? Well, I mean, anything I said to this
1: could be misconstrued, could it? Because I've kind of uh, boosted my own uh, living. But again, the, the the real acid test is... You would have more of a guarantee of catching fish with any guide that knew what they were doing, without a shadow of a doubt. So if your objective is that time is short, you want to catch fish, you want to enjoy yourself, you don't want to waste time finding out how to go about it, where the fish are, how to wade safely, where to park your car, then a guide is extremely good value for money. If you are the type of person that wants to discover all those things yourself and you're not bothered whether you catch or not or you're not bothered how many fish you catch and you want to go on a voyage of discovery learning a new bit of water, then a guide isn't essential by any means. So it really depends upon how you want to go about it, but guides can be an extremely easy way of catching fish and pretty economical as well.
0: I suppose it also falls into the shortcut category in terms of success with techniques and knowledge, as well as finding fish. It most certainly reduces the need for trial and error.
1: Well, that's exactly it. I mean, people come to me purely for casting lessons, but of course if they come out with me on the river, then they are getting a casting lesson and catching fish at the same time. So it's a a double win-win, isn't it? Um, So again, that can add added value to it. But you need to choose your guide wisely. There are some guides that know the river inside out, but they're not technically qualified to teach you how to cast. And there are other people like myself that are technically qualified and guide that will enable you to get that win-win scenario.
0: So what's the extent of your instructional guiding area and species availability?
1: Well, in terms of the instructional side of it, I'm one of the fairly rare full-time instructors about. I do this seven days a week, all year round. So I teach people to fish for salmon, sea trout, saltwater species, reservoirs, the whole gamut really. And therefore I'm available whenever the client hopefully is available and we can reach a good date together that's convenient for both of us. In terms of extent of fishing then there isn't any, because wherever this fish we can fly fish. And in the north-west in particular, we are blessed with some extremely good waters. We've got lots and lots of commercial fisheries around. We've got lots and lots of club waters where you can get day tickets. And we've got lots and lots of rivers. And it's a short haul to get out to the coast for salt species. So we have no limitations whatsoever in the north-west. We are are singularly blessed in that regard
0: what about local species availability
1: as regards uh, species again in the northwest we're blessed if we take the reservoir and still water scene then they're predominantly uh, around rainbow trout as most people know rainbow trout is not an indigenous species to britain it was introduced from uh, california uh, the strains that we have many many years ago but it's the main species that we use now for leisure angling in um, still waters and reservoirs but Over the years that the farming industry, fish farming industry, have been dealing with rainbow trout, then they've done some, let's say, experimenting, but don't get the wrong idea when I use that word, in terms of trying to breed perfect specimen. And the perfect specimens have really come out to be things like golden trout and blue trout and tiger trout. And with blue trout and golden trout, they're still genetically the exact the same as a rainbow. It's just the process of selective breeding. There's no genetics involved. There's no chemicals involved. It's a natural process that has ended up with the, this blue trout, for example. And blue trout is a very prized possession in the stillwater scene because pound for pound, it's much much stronger than a rainbow and a lovely looking fish. A grade A blue trout is a dark blue back with a absolutely bar of silver, flanks and uh, stomach, uh, and a beautiful looking fish. Aside from that, obviously our indigenous species of trout is a brown trout. They are widespread now in every single river and, and river system that we've got. Our rivers are of such cleanliness now generally that they will all stop brown trout, without exception. We still get isolated incidents of pollution, and always will do, I guess. But our rivers are sufficiently clean to hold a good stock of trout. So you can go to places even like the River Irwell, which I remember when I was a kid, you could smell it before you got anywhere near it, and uh, you could see the, the scum and the foam and floating down, and it was a horrible, psychedelic colour. But now there's some absolutely stonking brown trout available in the Irwell. So if we can clean that up, then we can clean any river up.
0: Let's not forget the Mersey too, which I spent years working on with the Environment Agency back in the 1990s, when we turned it around quite literally from running sewer to running salmon in a little over 13 years, which has to be one of the greatest recovery stories of all time.
1: On the rivers, we've got obviously a good head of brown trout, but also we've got another species called a grayling. A grayling isn't in every single river that we have in the northwest, the biggest exception being the River Loon. The River Loon is a fabulous river, particularly for sea trout and salmon, less so for brown trout, but there's not a single grayling in it. But all the other rivers, the, the Ribble, the Eden, and all the tributaries do have grayling in them. And if you go to North Wales, rivers such as the Dean tributaries, then they're fabulous grayling rivers.
0: Being predominantly a game fisherman, have you ever had a go at fly fishing for char? As a one-time char addict, I set myself the task of catching them on the fly and succeeded at the very first attempt. I was ball fishing one of the main spring holding areas on Coniston using a lead course shooting head snake while well out onto the backing while on the drift, with a specifically designed red and silver lure which we nicknamed the Char Lady. If my memory serves me well, I think I had three in consecutive casts before switching back to the spinning, so it can be done if you put your mind to it, as with the course fishing species. After all, they mainly feed on invertebrates, but one which doesn't is the pike, which is increasingly becoming a popular target species. So, do you or your clients ever target pike and the smaller coarse fish species with the fly?
1: Yeah, coarse fishing again—it's a ever-expanding discipline within fly fishing. There are lots and lots of, particularly ex-coarse anglers that want to fish for their known species uh, using fly fishing techniques. The two main ones are, uh, for a fly fisher, are carp and pike I guess. They're the two popular ones. If we take pike, something I get involved in a a lot, you need specific equipment so you'd be looking at really an eight or nine weight rod, suitable line, heavy leader with a a trace on the end of it, eight or ten inch trace, and obviously suitable pike flies. But the other essentials are you need a net that's big enough and you need an unhooking mat because, as everybody who's fished for pike knows, they get very stressed out, you need to handle them with kid gloves. When I'm teaching pike fishing I normally start people off on canals because it's a fabulous way of picking up jacks, getting them used to pike, getting them used to handling pike before they move on to, if you like, the specialist 20-30 pounders which you can get on occasions which can be too daunting for a beginner. So canals are a fabulous place to start off. There's no great pressure to cast a long way, and you almost certainly every time you go out you'll pick up a jack of three. Really good fun. Cart fishing is a little bit more specialised. Really, the only time when we carp fish is during the summer months when we're using floating flies, the famous ones that um, mimic pedigree chum, dog biscuit. <laughs> but again, can be uh, really good fun.
0: What species of coarse fish can be regularly caught using a fly?
1: I think i 've caught every single species there is, certainly all the common ones carp, rud, roach, perch, bream, tench. Some of them are easier to catch on a fly than others. perch are particularly easy to catch because obviously they 're aggressive species. Some of the others are a little bit more difficult if they 're kind of fairly exclusively bottom feeders but i 've caught every one, but the one that 's eluded me up to now is uh, a barbel. I've never caught a barbel on a fly, and I'd really, really love to do so. It's not an easy thing to do. In different countries, you get barbel that will actually take a dry fly, would you believe? But all the barbel fishing that I'm familiar with from the course guys, on the ribble in particular, if you like, and uh, again, it's all kind of lunch and meat stuff and, um, and bottom weighted stuff, which means that it is fairly restricted when it comes to a fly fishing technique but I've not given up on it yet and um, when I get some time I I hope to achieve that ambition the other thing that's quite difficult to do is catching in flatties saltwater flatties on on, on a fly because they are exclusively bottom obviously so you need to use uh, it's almost like the booby technique that we talked about earlier except using uh, a weighted nymph so it's a fairly heavy uh, sinking line short leader and uh, heavily weighted nymphs you can use things like Chetnams and uh, present it. You're going to get, you know, you want a sandy bottom. You don't want somewhere where you're going to get snagged the whole time. Fleetwood, Knot End, those sort of areas are great for it. And the guy that put me onto that and uh, discussed the technique with him is a guy that's extremely well known in the Lancashire area, Martin James, the uh, Radio Lancashire broadcaster. I mentioned earlier about the Syndicate Water that I'm a member of where I can take people. Uh, Martin happens to be the river keeper on that section. And so uh, I meet Martin very frequently and we always talk all things fly fishing. And all things fishing is an extraordinary bloke to talk to. And I would never have believed about catching
0: flatties until he put me straight. So I've got him to thank for that. And you're catching these from the shore, I take it then? On the shore, yeah, off the because- beach. As fly fishing is always going to be a short or shortest range technique, I take it then that you're wading out into the water to get a better shot at them. Yeah, absolutely you're wading, yeah.
1: yeah. And it's just the estuary the, the uh, uh, estuary at Not uh, end, which is kind of the nearest place for us, I guess.
0: And what about Heesham just across the way? Have you yet tried the warm water outfalls there, where they hit the low water channel for the bass? Again, it's all about wading. Quite often, you'll find the fish are topping all around you, even behind your back. Obviously, small schoolies dominate the catches, with surface-popping flies usually drawing the most attention. Unfortunately, my last couple of visits drew a blank, though I have done well there in the past. I haven't.
1: A lot of people have told me about Heesham because of the warmer water, uh, but I've never actually tried it. I went up there, actually, to get the ferry and do some fishing over the Isle of Man, and that kind of sparked it again. But I wouldn't even know how you get to it, to be truthful, so I need to have a word with you afterwards, maybe, about that.
0: And do you have access to any waters or beach which unguided anglers would not otherwise be able to fish without you being there?
1: Well, again, I guess there's two ways to answer that. There are certain stretches of the river that, because of very precarious wading, it would be more than handy, let's put it that way, to have a guide uh, with you. Other than that, then, day ticket waters are plentiful when you're talking about reservoirs. Unfortunately, there isn't that much day ticket water now on rivers. Uh, more and more of our rivers are taken up with clubs and syndicates where you simply can't get day tickets. But from a a tuition point of view, um, if I'm teaching somebody river techniques, then I do have access to a private syndicate water on the Ribble. It's about a two and a half mile stretch, Uh, lovely water, good for brown trout, grayling, sea trout, and salmon where I can teach people all the main techniques because there's little seams of water that are good for different techniques. So I'd be able to show people upstream dry fly, downstream dry fly, nymphing, duoing, check nymphing, etc. and get them started in in a really kind of concise way. Because other stretches of river, really you're stuck to maybe one or two main techniques which wouldn't show them, wouldn't prepare them sufficiently to go out and river fishing in any sort of water. So I'm particularly fond of this little stretch of the Ribble that uh, I say it's private
0: syndical water that I've got access to. But other than that getting on rivers is quite difficult. Do you have any final thoughts on why anglers should think more seriously about hiring in the services of a guide like yourself?
1: Well I would say guide stroke instructor. I wouldn't say just purely guide um, unless they just want to know the water. The reason is that money invested in in somebody that is technically qualified to teach you the different techniques and casting techniques means that that money is an investment for the rest of your fishing life. And therefore you can use those techniques for literally the rest of your life. So it will enhance not just that particular day's fishing or that particular lesson, but it will enhance everything you do thereafter and make fly fishing much more enjoyable. Because your technique will improve, your catch rate will improve, and hence your enjoyment of fishing will improve. So I would really urge people to think of having lessons and having a guide as an investment for their fly fishing future, not just a very short-term
0: win-win. And if people want to do just that, how might they make contact with you?
1: Very simply, I have a, a website which is www. Lancashire Fly Fishing, all one word, dot co dot UK, and they can get on there. It gives them all the information about the services that I offer and also my contact details there. Send me an email, and we arrange a particular time, and uh, jobs good. Other than that, they can give me a ring on my mobile, which is O double seven eight six six eight two two seven two. So, email or telephone. I'll be happy to uh, help people in the future.
0: While I was waiting for and watching Mike finishing off the tuition session he had booked in prior to us sitting down and recording this interview, even though I only caught the last 10 minutes of it from way up the bank, I immediately picked up on the technique of roll casting, which is something I know I will find particularly useful for situations where false casting is restricted due to background trees and bushes. And like a GP doing a consultation, Mike also said he could cure the neck and shoulder problems I sometimes suffer when I put in a lot of time casting and retrieving lures early season, by making a few simple changes to my casting technique, all of which without me even picking up a rod. As I said back in my introduction, I've never been one to doubt the value of using guides, so I needed no convincing on that particular score. But I've just had my eyes opened a little wider as to the place and value here in the UK, particularly for situations we might feel are too familiar to us to require any extra assistance i've no doubt at all that every one of us could benefit to some degree from a little critical experience coaching and the value of being put straight onto the right technique with fish in front of you is always going to be a recipe for success so my thanks then to mike rawdon for sharing his thoughts and experience with us here as i've already said I'll be doing a return visit soon for Mike to share his experiences on fishing from a float tube.